The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Let's face facts, Hassan. The Princess Shireen pretends to be here in a visit honoring the memory of her father, the great Sheikh Fared. But I know that the traitor Majid sent for her to assume leadership of the revolt against me. Yes, Excellency. That is why we... True. Must... We must rid ourselves of the princess. But uh, wisely, Hassan, wisely. Now consider this. Our good neighbor, Abdul, the Bey of Daran, wants above all to marry the beautiful Shireen. I have given my consent, on condition that Abdul take her away to his own country, never to return. Where will Majid and his revolt be then? The revolt would wither and die without her presence. <laughs> Go to the princess. Take Sarab with you. Tell her it is my wish, as ruler of the country, that she marry the Bey Abdul. Inform her, delicately of course, that her choice is marriage or death. Yes, Excellency. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, May 29th, 2014. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you until noon. <laughs> it's not right wing, it's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the clothes, everything will be... One of these days, Bob, we'll get that opening right. We just might, you know. Uh, 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you care to join in our in on our conversation today, if I can even speak today. And, of course, you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. have a very interesting theme for the show today, for the entire show. And we will be, by the end of the show, joined by two guests. We have one in the studio now. Robert, you care to do the honors? Well, of course. I'm no stranger to uh, listeners of Just Right. We are joined with Salim Mansur, an associate professor of political science here at the University of Western Ontario, and founder or co-founder and vice president of Muslims Facing Tomorrow. Hello, Salim. Hello. And welcome Uh, once again. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Now, of course, the topic of today is going to be a discussion about a documentary called Honor Diaries, and it was uh, made in 2013, uh, produced by Paula Queskin, and explores violence against women in honor-based societies with particular focus on things like female genital mutilation, honor violence, honor killings, early enforced marriage, and lack of access to education, amongst other other horrific things. And um, a very important documentary, which is receiving uh, both uh, praise and criticism throughout the world where it's uh, it's being shown. Um, And which will be screened this evening. It will be screened this evening. I was just about to ask Salim. Uh, Salim, you know that it's going to be screening this evening. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean... uh, When and where is it? Yeah, yes, Bob, uh, Robert, uh, thank you. I mean, this is, as you just mentioned, a uh, very important documentary that has been made. It's a documentary in which is featured several Muslim women uh, who talk about the situation of women in general in the third world, but in particular in Muslim-majority societies from across Africa into the Middle East, into South Asia, Pakistan. Um, and one of the women featured in this documentary, we hope she will be joining us very soon, is uh, Rahil Raza. Yes, we just got a call from Rahil. She's on her way, <laughs> making her way through London. There was an accident, apparently, on the 401, which delayed her. Oh, but um, she's coming into town. 
um, to help introduce the film, which will be presented tonight. At what time, Celine? Um, at 6.30 at the, the Wolf Performance Hall in the main public library on Dundas Street. Dundas Street in the Galleria Mall, right? A Galleria Mall, that's mm-hmm. correct. So uh, it's open to the public for a $10 admission fee. That's correct. Yes. Yep. It is open to the public, and uh, I hope the public comes out and, you know, uh, take in this movie because it is not only a m- very important uh, documentary, but it's also a very timely documentary given the stories that are right in the front page of newspapers mm-hmm. around the world. Another one just today yeah. of, um, again, in Pakistan, Pakistan yeah. of a, um, a young woman stoned to death by uh, her community, her father, her brother. She was three months pregnant uh, for refusing to marry her cousin, I believe the story goes. Uh, yes, exactly. I mean, and it was it was a, a, a honor killing that took place right at the uh, steps of the High Court in Lahore. Mm-hmm. Lahore is the capital of Punjab in Pakistan, one of the major cities, and right there. In public, uh, she was stoned to death, beaten to death by her family. And her father was extremely proud after he had her daughter, who's, I believe, around about 25 years old Mm -hmm. and pregnant three months. Mm -hmm. No, she was married. Her crime was that she had married a man of her choosing Mm -hmm. rather than uh, whoever the family would have arranged. And, And so the family took the revenge, and the father was very proud and uh, that uh, he had maintained the honor of his family. Now, one of the comments I saw on that on the Internet uh, was from a Pakistani woman who said that you cannot paint all of Pakistani culture with this kind of an atrocity because it is usually done in some of the smaller, um, to use the Western uh, idiom, hick towns, <laughs> Uh, which which are still very tribalistic, and yet you just tell me, tell me that it was done on the steps of the high court in Lahore, the capital. So obviously, this is pervasive throughout society. Can you? I mean, you're not from Pakistan; you're from uh, India, but I know you're very familiar with the area, uh, having traveled through there. But can you tell me how prevalent this kind of um, honor killings are in in that, in that part of the world? It is very prevalent. It is indeed more prevalent than the apologist, as this woman that you talked about, uh, wants to say that it's some hick town and hick people who are doing it. No, it is, it is right happening within what we, in terms of our uh, classification in the West, would call middle class and upper middle class families. You know, I mean, so if this is happening within middle class and upper class families relatively to the income of that society, uh, what could be happening in the lower uh, income group, you know, is even far more pervasive. It is not simply a tribal culture. I mean, it, it is in, in, in sense there is tribalism involved in this. But this is being done in the name of Islam. And, and it is high time uh, Muslims faced up to the reality. I mean, I'm talking here not as somebody who is alien to this culture, as you all know. Uh, I, I am from that part of the world. I am a Muslim. And we have been talking about this, and I'm waiting for our other guests to arrive. This is a pervasive problem, a pervasive problem. You know, I I think about this situation, and it seems to be, um, I'm trying to figure out how such a custom even evolved to get to the point where it is. And, you know, when you look back in history, and as our opening uh, opener clip today suggested, 
Um, kings and queens once had to arrange marriages to solidify uh, one kingdom with another and to prevent wars. So it certainly isn't a middle-class uh, phenomenon. It, did it start at the top or at the bottom, these arranged marriages and the idea? You know, I can understand in the past that we came from a greater collective and less individualism because, of course, we, we hadn't discovered capitalism and freedom yet. Um, is that the problem? Is, is this a, a you know... It's it, from royalty down to, you know, the family itself. Is this all a collective type of point of view? Wh where is the honor? Like, with whom is the honor um, when they talk about honor? Let's let's step um, back okay. and put it in, in, in a perspective, sociological and historical perspective. What is strange about this story that we're talking about that you, Robert, raised, you know, it's, it's a front-page story, is that's happening in 2014. But as you, Bob, say, this is not something unique. It has happened mm -hmm. in other cultures, in other civilizations. So if you put it, remember the movie Zorba the Greek, the famous movie? Yeah. And the woman is stained to death in Zorba the Greek because she's accused for having relationship with uh, some other men that was not approved by the society. And the last scene in that film... This is the story from Greece, mm -hmm. you know, stoned to death. You have to go back in time. I mean, what is the story of Nat Nathaniel Hawthorne, the great famous book of, of American literature, the, the Scarlet, Scarlet Letter, Letter yes. you know? Uh, what about the witches being burned in Europe? What about Jean d'Arc put to flames in, in Europe? All women. So you, you have to go back in time that there was a time that this has happened. So the point is that in these cultures, in Pakistan, in the Middle East, in Syria, in Palestine, in uh, Mauritania, in Nigeria, where the Boko Haram story, that these societies may be living in the calendar year 2014, but they are living in the 12th and 13th century. Mm -hmm. And the dichotomy is between Muslims like me, who are living in the 21st century and wanting to drag and face up to the reality, and the bulk of the society is still right there. We might be only physically in 2014, but we are very much in the framework of the 12th century, of the 8th century. That's what has happened. Well, let's face it here, even in Canada, women were not considered persons until the 1920s. And when I think of that, I wonder about this whole honor <coughs> thing. It, it seems to me that honor is to Eastern societies what perhaps morality has been to Western societies. Whenever you bring it up, it's a code relating to sexuality, essentially. Absolutely. And um, it's funny because when I think of the word morality, I don't think of sex first. It's just on a list of many exactly. things that, that, that should be subject to moral judgment. Right. Um, but yet you talk to the average person about morality, that's the first subject that comes Absolutely. into mind. Is... is honor the same kind of concept? It, it, it is very much. I wish, you know, we had could do some 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 magic and bring Freud back to life, you mm -hmm. know, and talk about the psychology. I mean, after all, the most fundamental problem in any civilization, in fact, it is a human problem with which civilization have to contend right at its origin is the relationship of sex, you yes. know. And, and, and woman is seen, the female sex seen as a possession of the male sex, that he controls it. I mean, you were, you were talking about Europe, you know. Remember the story going back to the women were put into the, the belt, you know, to mm -hmm. protect chastity their, belt, yes. the chastity belt to protect their virginity and so on and well, so forth. Well, of course, forth. we didn't have birth control back then. No, and, we didn't, but, the that, but, but that's the point. It comes, 
it comes back to sex. It mm-hmm. comes back to female. The women are the possession of the men, and the women have no independent choice. The great awakening in terms of this relationship, and this is, again, a very recent phenomenon, modern phenomenon. Nothing of this is apologetic, right? We're, t- we're trying to d- understand this in the psychological term, sociological term, is as you exactly pointed out, in the West itself, you know, it, it, it goes back to the early 20th century struggles of the women. You know, we are now what... Uh, women writer, feminist writer like Phyllis Chesler writes about. We are in the third generation of the feminist struggle. The first generation of the feminist struggle were people who work who work to get the voting right, the suffragettes. Mm-hmm. You know, right? the second generation of the Betty Friedans and others who come around. So in the third, it's recent. But going back to Pakistan, going back to the honor killing, the female genital mutilation, and all of this, this is very much a part of the struggle in the Muslim world. And the people you are very much, those who engage in these things, and the society is engaged in it, governments are engaged in it, they are very much doing it within the parameters of their interpretation of Islam. Well, maybe we should um, take this opportunity to cut to a break, and when we get back, talk about exactly how one can interpret uh, the Quran and Islam to come up with these conclusions, uh, conclusions not shared by all Muslims. Absolutely. Um, can I ask a question first? Just, just wanted to get to it. Uh, this this concept of of honor killing within your family. I'm I, I as a parent, I couldn't think of a circumstance when I would kill my own child. Where does love come into this, and and to whom is any of this love directed? I can't see someone bringing up a child all their life into adulthood and then suddenly killing them over a choice the child makes. Um, How does that get accepted? Or how is the concept of love perhaps different in that culture than it might be in ours? Um, I would say that love is one variable of human emotion stacked against other variables of human emotion and Mm -hmm. sociological demands within one uh, is living. So one is wearing multiplicity of caps. This is not one cap. So there is love. But then in this instance, the father who kills the daughter on the steps of the high court is preoccupied in an honor culture with the stature of his name, of his clan, of his tribe, of his face. That's what honor killing is about. And so he maintains that collective sense above the personal relationship. Interesting. Okay, well, let's take a listen and in on a sample from the film The Honor Diaries, which will be previewed tonight in London. On March 8th, over 25 human rights organizations around the world will join together with nine women's rights activists to start a new movement to break the silence and bring about change. Starting March 8th, these nine activists will reach out to thousands of people to educate them about women's rights in a new film, Honor Diaries. Honor Diaries is the untold story of countless women and girls who suffer outrageous and shocking human rights abuses every day. Told exclusively through Women's Voices, Honor Diaries is the first film of its kind to bring together women's activists to shatter the silence and speak freely on the topic of honor. The UN has named March 8th International Women's Day, and on this day there will be screenings of Honor Diaries across the U.S. and around the world. The continuation of this dialogue is in need to make the realization of the importance of women's voices with the support of men 
and women of other faiths, of other cultures, other communities, because without them we cannot make a change. Hi guys, my name is Paula Queskin and I'm the writer and producer of Honor Diaries. Honor Diaries talks about one of the most important human rights issues today, the subjugation and persecution of women in honor-based societies. We want the whole world to pay attention and talk about Honor Diaries and the important issues that it raises. A mother and father accused of dousing their teenage daughter in acid. Her crime looking at a boy. She turned to look at him. I told her before not to do that. I started beating her. Then her mother brought the acid. It was her destiny to die this way. I don't think people are aware of just how prevalent it is and that it is happening in the United States, that it's increasing here and that it's not such a fluke when it does happen. Her parents beat her after seeing her with a boy. The police are saying the teen was abused because she didn't want to go through with an arranged marriage. Georgia police say he strangled his daughter to protect his family's honor. Muzamal Hassan is accused of beheading his wife after she filed for divorce. And allegedly run down by her own father for becoming too westernized. There was a case in Texas of Sarah and Amina Saeed who were murdered by their father, but what we found out afterward is that they had been regularly abused, they had mm. been sexually abused, that they went to school with bruises, mm. um, and normally a teacher and, or a counselor has the responsibility to report that to the state and the child mm. should be removed from the home. But these girls went to school every day with obvious signs of yeah. abuse. That, I have to say, is a practice that is happening all the time up and down the UK, where girls are presenting, not believed, or people thinking, don't lift up right. the hijab, yeah, don't yeah. check the bruises. And she's actually saying, I told them the bruises were there, but they wanted to be careful. Welcome back. We're pleased to have in the studio now our second guest, Rahil Raza, who is a co-founder and president of Muslims Facing Tomorrow, journalist, author, public speaker, media consultant, anti-racism activist and interfaith discussion leader. Welcome, Rahil. Thank you. Hope you had a pleasant journey on the 401 to get here. I understand there was an accident. There was a huge five-car and truck-involved accident on the 401 just out of Toronto. Ah, well, I'm glad you made it here. Thank you. <laughs> we were talking with Salim about um, how an interpretation of Islam is, is, is taken two ways. One, in this reprehensible barbarity that we see uh, of Muslim men uh, treating their women. And, of course, the second, more religious, spiritual aspect of Islam. Um, do you want to comment on that, how uh, that that interpretation can be so so disastrously go one way or another. Yes, absolutely, and thank you for, for that excellent question. Uh, I think this is what Muslims are facing and suffering from right now, this idea that they, have, they believe they have the freedom to interpret Islam in a very violent way, and of course there are those of us who look upon this um, as our spiritual journey and who are able to interpret it in a much more spiritual, softer, gentler way. And I would say that that is the Islam that I grew up with. But I have seen it uh, totally take a different turn. Uh, and we talk about this very often. You know, I grew up in Pakistan. Today, Pakistan is a country where there are uh, approximately a thousand honor killings every year. And that is horrific. 
When I was growing up, I had never even heard the word honor killings or female genital mutilation, some of the issues that we have talked about in the documentary Honor Diaries. But it is a reality. Just two days ago, a young woman uh, was stoned to death in front of the public, in front of the court, and in front of police officers. So it's uh, horrific that uh, people stand by and let this happen because they believe that this is somehow justified by the faith. And I think that we uh, Muslims have a very hard question that we have to ask ourselves is, how did we let this happen and what are we going to do to rectify this? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up. We actually did already mention that uh, just a few minutes ago, that one particular case. And the criticism from some Muslims uh, on the Internet was that, oh, these are just... Um, you know, uh, small communities that this happens. It doesn't happen in the broader Pakistan society. It's a very popular, it's a very uh, modern society where women have rights. And But uh, Salim was telling us this happened on the courts of the high court in Lahore. Now, your opinion, we've already heard Salim's, your opinion on the prevalence of these attitudes um, in, in modern society in, in the Muslim world? Well, we're looking um, at, at two things. And if we, if we just take the example of Pakistan, uh, you know, it's deflection uh, by people who say that uh, it is not happening in larger society because all we have to do is look at the statistics for the last 10 years. And there has been an increase in general violence against women and specifically in honor killings. Now, the issues that are worth discussing is not that this is happening, but of course, you know, it's horrific that this is happening. We have to speak out. But what accountability there is. So there are, uh, you know, people are not prosecuted. There are certain aspects of Sharia law under which the perpetrator of such a crime can actually get away with it. Uh, you know, a man who murders uh, his daughter for the sake of his honor is uh, sometimes even celebrated in places, you know, in, in villages. So it's... Um, uh, very naive of us to say that this is only happening happening in tribal areas or this is only happen happening in some communities. It is actually increasing and it is happening more and more in the urban areas and it is something that we need to be very cognizant of because one of the reasons that these abuses are allowed to fester and grow is because people don't speak out enough. You just mentioned the word honor and men celebrating it. Are we really talking about honor, or are we talking about something more akin to what we might call macho, like a, a macho thing? Is this really something between men and men, this kind of honor we're talking about, or with, with women just being the incidental, or is it, um, you know, it's, it's not about women per se. This honor is between men. I'm not sure how to, am I asking that question right, I, if, if you know uh, what I mean? I understand what you're saying, but in this particular case, I would say it is very much against women. You know, these are patriarchal, misogynist, misogynist societies mm -hmm. where patriarchy has been embedded in the tribal culture for centuries. Of course, we are now living in the 21st century, and you would think that that misogyny and patriarchy has been somehow watered down, but it hasn't because religiosity is a very patriarchal mm -hmm. uh, ideology. And when it grows, when extremism grows, when fundamental fundamentalism grows in a country or among a people, the, um, the backlash is always against uh, the so-called uh, weaker members of society, and that's women and minorities in the case of countries like Pakistan. But in other countries as well, we've seen what's happened with the Boko Haram in Nigeria. Uh, you know, this is religiosity and patriarchy gone stark raving mad, I would say. Uh, 
and, and anywhere that we see where women's rights are oppressed, as in Saudi Arabia, mm. these are patriarchal cultures. So the word honor, of course, in the West has a very positive connotation. And we understand that as being positive. But the intention of how these honor killings take place is the focus behind the word honor when it is used in terms of honor-based violence. It is always done for the honor of the family, the men, the tribe, the community, the village. And the person who is the victim is 99% of the time women of the mm -hmm. family. I wonder who started the use of the word honor killings, because in Western society, if I use the word honor to describe a man and say, you're an honorable man, sex doesn't enter my mind. It means that, well, for example, if you pass a bad check, that's dishonorable. If you're not fair in your dealings, that's dishonorable. You're not uh, a man of integrity. Sex is the last thing in your mind when you're thinking about honor in the use in the Western society. Who coined this term, this positive term, to such reprehensible behavior? Uh, Robert, very good question. And, and I'll very quickly explain this. I mean, the differences in meaning of any term, and here and we're specifically talking about the word honor. The differences is between an open society and a closed society. It's not a question of democracy, non-democracy, etc. The classic difference is, open society, and there's a very few societies that are open. Even our society was pretty much closed. That's the quiet revolution mm -hmm. in, in, in Quebec and, and, and moving forward, and you, you know, this is within the living memory. And closed societies. Closed societies are dominant society. In a closed society, the individual is simply a cog in the larger collective identity of a people. Family, clan, tribes, etc. Mm -hmm. In an open society, the individual is the moral center of the universe. This is the struggle. So when you talk about, as you are saying, honor, honoring the check, honoring your word, there's the individual responsibility. What happened in Pakistan this two days ago and the story that we are talking about, this is the honor the family feels, rightly or wrongly is beside the question. This is the pressure of the closed society where the family is a part of the cog. And if the family doesn't sacrifice the daughter, in this case the daughter was brutally bludgeoned to death in front of the court. It was not done in some remote tribal or village somewhere in the mountains of the Hindu Kush where the Afghan war. It was done in the court. Lahore is a city of somewhere around about 10 million people. It's a, it's a modern city. It's a major city in Pakistan. It is the second most important city, Karachi and then Lahore. So we are not talking about some remote... And in front of the courthouse, and this was done. So here it is. A woman was sacrificed by the father and the brothers brutally to maintain, quote-unquote, the collective honor of the family vis-a-vis -vis the tribe. Because if they hadn't done it, then they would have ruined the honor of that entire tribe. In, in Western society, if you're an individual woman or an individual man, regardless of age, you can go throughout our society and survive and prosper. Um, as your child grows up, they usually move away from the family, make a, a life for themselves, a home for themselves, marry who they wish, educate themselves wherever they wish, and get a job in whatever career they want. Can a woman or even a man do the same thing in these societies that we speak of, the closed society? Bob, that's what we have been talking about. I've been talking about. Rahil has been talking about. That's the honor diary. What you are talking about, what we can do right now in the West, 
did not happen within a nanosecond. There's a history behind it. Mm -hmm. There's a long struggle behind it. We just talked with Bob about that, you know, when Bob was talking about the European marriages and the chastity belt and the burning of the witches, <laughs> a woman accused and, and burned. It's a long struggle and people have forgotten that struggle. And all I am saying is that if you want to understand Bob and preserve our liberal society, then look around and see the Muslim world because that's the story that we went through in different senses, in detail, but that's the struggle that is going on in the Muslim society of how these Muslim societies can move forward into becoming open societies. And also the important factor here, and I'll, I'll uh, pitch in where Salim has uh, spoken, is about individual freedoms. You know, I was born in Pakistan, I grew up there, but I never experienced that individual freedom as I do when I came to the West. And this is the reason that many of us as, ha as immigrants have come here to embrace a liberal democracy, to the values of uh, freedom of press, freedom of voice, freedom of choice, and most importantly, as a Muslim woman, individual freedom. Of course, this is not to say that every single Muslim woman in Pakistan or in a Muslim country has not found that freedom, but in Institutionally, it's not something that is supported. It is not supported by the communities at large. There is constantly a struggle for women, and they have to break out of that mold. And a lot of this is centered around a tribal mentality, you know, that it's not individuals that matter, but the, f the community as a whole. And one person's actions can, d you know, affect the entire community. I, I just quickly, okay. since we're talking about Pakistan, remind you that Benazir Bhutto, was killed, for, apart from every other reason, because she's a woman. Yes, that's right. Yes, indeed. Well, listen, we're at the bottom of the hour right now. Time to take a break. We're going to hear another sample from Honor Diaries as we go into the bottom of the hour, and we'll be back after to continue our conversation. We shy away from criticizing anything that's different um, because we don't want to be seen as the type of people who would restrict people's expression. You know, and I, and I think that that's very, very well motivated. Why is it that everybody is afraid to say that Muslim women are deprived of their humanity? Because people are, you know, slapped with these labels of, of being an Islamophobe and people don't want to speak out. And when you do dissent, you are threatened, you are bullied, you are intimidated. And, and that's happening here in the United States. My mother, when I started the organization, the first thing out of her mouth, she said, you're going to get killed. I've had fatwas, I've had death threats, I get hate mail. The threats to rape you, burn your face with acid. I'm afraid all the time. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't also be courageous. It's very, very easy to break a, a twig or a stick. But when you bundle them together, mm -hmm. you can't break that. By us coming together, showing a united front, I'm sure we can defeat this. here, Klingon, with them. Do they capture you too? They are not my captors. They are my comrades. Why do you take orders from a female? Dr. Crusher. She is my superior officer. Among my people, a female can never outrank a man. You are human. And among humans, females can achieve anything the males can. I am no more human than you are. I am Tolarian. 
You are confused. Welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. And you can give us some feedback, if you like, by calling at uh, 619... Oh, what's the number, Bob? <laughs> oh, <laughs> the, our phone number, you mean? Yeah, the phone number to the studio here. Oh, um... I don't, haven't got my note in front of me, and I don't know what That's heart. fine. You can give us feedback by email at uh, feedback at justrightmedia.org. 661 I don't know how I forgot that number. I just <laughs> heard it so many times. Um, we're joined in studio by um, two uh, distinguished guests, Salim Mansour, a frequent guest on the show, and uh, Raheel Raza as well. And they're here. We're talking about uh, Honored Diaries, which is going to be presented tonight at the Wolf Auditorium at Main Library in the Galleria Mall at 6.30 p.m., open to the public. $10 admission, and we hope that, um, that you'll come out and, and watch this important documentary about the treatment of women in uh, mostly Muslim societies, or the, as Salim would say, the closed society. Now, I understand um, both uh, Salim and Rahil that uh, this documentary has not been received well in some quarters. Who would like to tackle uh, that particular issue? Well... You're absolutely right, but um, the uh, fortunately for us in Canada, we haven't had any kind of uh, banning or backlash, and I'm very proud to be a Canadian, but I did travel to the United States, and uh, the uh, CARE, which is the um, Council for American Islamic Relations, uh, an organization that is well known uh, to be deflectors and apologists and uh, supporters of the Muslim Brotherhood, I would say. Uh, they have tried to stop the screenings in uh, Chicago, in Illinois, actually, uh, which doesn't really bother us because, uh, you know, for the couple of screenings that were stopped, we have actually had uh, 500,000 screenings of honor diaries to date. And here's an, an interesting fact. There is an Arabic Facebook page for Honor Diaries, and it has had over 100,000 likes. What I found ironical that in America, which is the cradle of freedom, where you know the Constitution se- speaks about uh, the freedom of speech and uh, freedom of voice, in a country like that, a university that is Brandeis University caved into pressure by the Islamist organizations and rescinded Ayan Hirsi Ali's honorary doctorate. Mm-hmm. However, uh, a f- two weeks after that, a group of students actually arranged a screening of honor diaries, and I did go there, and I spoke there, and I expressed my dismay at the fact that in the heart of the world's largest democracy, we see this kind of hostage-taking taking place. And I'm sure Salim has something to add. No, no, I was uh, uh, sharing uh, <laughs> with, uh, with uh, Rahil the point that she's making, the great irony here at the beginning of the 21st century, uh, at the cradle of, of the great experimentation, the Jeffersonian democracy, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, the Constitution, the First Amendment, you know, the protection of freedom of speech, etc., etc., and and the people that is... Uh, the institution charged with the responsibility of defending these constitutional uh, uh, rights have buckled under the pressure of people who want the closed society to be replicated in this open society. And I question that. Uh, you know, people ask me, why would it, uh, an organization like CARE be so negative? Now, two, here's two interesting points, that they had not seen the documentary before they started slamming it. 
So this oh, is the, the usual <laughs> knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. You know, you t- you take Salman Rushdie, Ayan Hirsi Ali, all of this. They never read the books, but it's always let's burn them before we can mm-hmm. read them. You know, it's this knee-jerk reaction. But in this particular case, you know, this is a documentary that people who are not Muslim have looked at it and said, wow, Muslim women speaking out about atrocities in the Muslim world. Here are activists, uh, educated women taking action. You know, so a very pro-Muslim film in many ways, you know, showing the the energy and the activism. But these organizations that are trying to ban the screening of this film obviously don't want these women's rights issues to come to the forefront. Otherwise, they would have made a documentary about these issues. They're not new. The issues that are highlighted in Honor Diaries are something that has been festering under the surface for a long time, which is why it has come to this. Where are our feminists here in Western society? Why aren't they standing up when they see uh, members of CARE or the Muslim Brotherhood or um, other Muslim organizations wanting to censor or ban or stop the the, um, showing of this documentary? Why aren't Western feminists, non-Muslim feminists, up in arms saying, hold on a minute, this is a movie about the mistreatment of women and girls. How dare you uh, try to prevent society from seeing it. Where are these feminists? Well, this is political correctness gone wrong. Absolutely. And I'm sure Salim will speak about the whole idea, you know, the multiculturalism gone wrong. But the fact is that this has been my question as well. Where were these women lobbying in the streets when the uh, girls were abducted in uh, Nigeria? You know, is it that we have a form of uh, sort of, you know, subtle racism here, that they were African, so we don't speak out? My point to everyone always is, starting from Boko Haram to Honor Diaries, these women could be our sisters, our daughters, they are women, and we need to be in solidarity with each other. We need the support of the feminist groups, but they have a very hands-off approach. And uh, this is very troubling in many, many ways. You know, this is not a battle only for the souls and lives of Muslim women. It is a battle for all women. And we have to stand up and speak out. So it's disappointing. Is the fear of criticizing um, CARE or any Muslim organization who wants to stop this film from being shown a fear of being labeled Islamophobic? Because that word to me means Mm. actual fear of Islamists, not of the Quran or a spiritual interpretation of the Quran or a religion, but fear of actually being killed for opposing these brutal men. Yeah, I, I, I would completely agree with you. This is the branding of anybody and by organized official Islam and care is part of it, uh, by branding anybody that is non-Muslim who raises critical questions about Muslim society and Islam and what's happening and calling them Islamophobes, you should shut them up. It's like calling a white man a racist. Mm-hmm. The greatest fear today that the uh, Western society and the white men, particularly the white men have in the Western society, is the scarlet letter R to be you know, thrown at them. Racist. That you're yes. racist, mm-hmm. and that ends the discussion. But if I may take 60 seconds and go back to the question about the feminists in the Western world, my sense, and you know, there are many feminist writers who are writing about this. Phyllis Chesler have already mentioned one name they are struggling with this issue and now uh, uh, you know we can look back at the 50-year history and part of the problem I would suggest for your listeners to ponder about this is back again the feminist movement talked about gender in a closed society sense that is a collectivist sense 
not as the next step. It is about women as also being individuals. You know, the gender is accidental. I didn't choose my gender. My first, that's the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That's simply what happened to be in the uh, roulette table of the distribution of our chromosome that I turned out to be a man and Rahim turned out to be a woman. Because the fundamental reality is our humanity. And the feminists in North America have lost that sense, you know. So they are identifying as gender, and there comes the question. There are, this is a third world oppression. This has been, you know, colonialism. This has been imperialism. And we cannot talk about them, you know, because, you know, we are white, you know, and they are colored people, and they have, go- and, and they have abandoned their identity. And the whole irony of Ayan Hirsi Ali, who was in this sense, abuse. Here is a woman. It's not the issue that she's ex-Muslim or she's a critical Muslim. She was born in a Muslim family, grew up in Islam, went through forceful female genital mutilation, was faced with forceful marriage, fled away from all of that to assert what, Bob, you said, the common humanity of being a person, an individual, and she is being indicted by whom? by a white man who converted to Islam, Ibrahim Hooper, who is now saying that this black woman from Somalia who has been tormented and abused is threatening him and Islam in North America. See the role reversal. I mean, these are fabulous studies, sociological and anthropological study about what's happening. Ibrahim Hooper is a white American who is one of the leaders of CARE, charging and condemning Ayan Hirsi Ali and the women like Rahil for being Islamophobe. You brought up a very interesting point, and it's actually where I want to go in the last quarter. It's time for our next break, and when we come back, uh, I want to carry on with the point you just raised, Salim, and tie it to something you said when you came in. Uh, Rahil will be back right after this. Alfred, it's unbelievable. I helped her pack, darling, and she, she doesn't even own a pair of stockings. And he keeps her running around the house in some flimsy Arabian night thing, you know, so she can't even go out. She's practically a prisoner. Do you know what this means? What? I'm going to have to do a whole new profile chart on her. But what about that poor girl upstairs? Yes, we must do something keeping her in slavery. That's the classic Zimmerman pattern. A frustrated, infantile... Alfred! This isn't a lecture. This is real life. I'm sorry, my dear. Well, what are we going to do? I'm going to have a little talk with Major Nelson. Yes. Oh, good evening, Dr. Bellis. Is it? Yes, yes, it is. As a matter of fact, it's quite nice. Uh, You seem uh, agitated. Is anything wrong? Uh, Oh, no. No, no, nothing. Well, my housekeeper is missing, as you can see, and I I was just trying to locate her. That's what I came here to discuss. What, my housekeeper? If that's what you wish to call her. You see, Major, I know all about her. You do? I, what I mean is, there's nothing to know. She's just your ordinary, everyday housekeeper. In a pink harem costume. <laughs> You've seen her. Where is she, Dr. Uh, what I mean is, she shouldn't run around loose. You have no idea what kind of trouble she can get in. She's perfectly safe, Major. She's staying at my house until Mrs. Bellows can arrange for the divorce.
this recording, it means I have failed. I am dead. I did not wish for my life to end this way, but I thought it was the only means left to send a message to those who enslave others. My death will mean nothing. But perhaps Zamenhan's death will light a fire in my people and their allies. Those who witness inhumanity and do not act. The message of hope must go on. It must reach Orion. Thousands of young Orion girls are longing, desperate to live free, to dream, to fly. It is obvious I will not be the one to carry that message, though I pray another will. If we remain silent to the cruelties that surround us, we will lose a part of ourselves. The part that feels, that stands up for injustice, that loves. May this not be the end, but a beginning. Freedom at all costs. And those are extremely powerful words from a Star Trek that we reviewed a while ago, eh, Robert? Yes. Star Trek continues, the episode Lolani. Mm-hmm. We must have played about a good 40 minutes out of that thing by now. Um, isn't it interesting that a brand new episode should so focus itself on the subject of slavery and of the way women are being subjected. Um, you were saying when you came in, uh, Rahel, that you said you grew up and you had never heard of an honor killing of any sort. So that speaks counter to what maybe we were saying earlier, Salim, in terms of it being more of a tradition. It seems to be a growing trend. And even in the synopsis, of honor diaries, it's pointing out that there's this growing trend of honor crimes in Western societies, which again speaks to what you just said, Salim, how it's the white Westerner who's taking on Islam and being offended by the older school of thought, if you want to put it that way. Is this really an old trend we're looking at, or is it something new that's coming upon us? I'm almost beginning to think it's something more new than old and what it, what what has changed well i believe that uh, <clears throat> honor killings did exist um, you know in fact they were there pre-islam as well these were tribal societies and all they knew uh, was you know how to save the honor of of the tribe by even sacrificing uh, human lives and then you know as uh, we we presume that we are growing into modernity. A lot of this was sort of kept quiet or maybe not not talked about it, but as I said, I, when I was growing up as a child in Pakistan, maybe it was happening in the villages and tribes, so we never heard about it in, you know, in the cities. Mm-hmm. I mean, today it's common practice in the cities, and what is terrifying is the silence. It is the lack of accountability. It is the lack of punishment. And in many Muslim countries, uh, you know, in Jordan, for example, the penal code of Jordan actually says it documents that if a man kills a family member for the sake of honor, he will not be prosecuted. And then there are certain aspects of Sharia under which uh, the family, uh, you know, the family can forgive the person who has killed their daughter. So uh, all this is becoming, in a way, new. It is coming back, and it is coming back to stay because not enough people are speaking out about it. Is there some kind of consequence for failing to carry out an honor killing when it's expected? Yes. uh, Many times the women of the family, the mothers, for example, uh, 
you know, people ask me this question, you know, how can a mother take part in uh, killing her own child? And, and it's a very important question. But they are subjugated and they are held accountable for the, for the honor of that whole family. And sometimes they're silenced and they're forced to watch or, you know, they're forced to be part of it. And, of course, they're terrified because they're, they see this happening and it could be them next. Mm-hmm. So they watch, and I mean, we look at the Shafia case that that took place right here in Canada, in Kingston. Uh, the mother was part of that entire process, that entire tragedy. Mm-hmm. And it's horrifying to imagine that a mother would stand by or actually even participate in the killing of her own children. So they, this has become a part of the you know, society in a way that people are not standing up and saying this is wrong. It's just as simple as standing up and saying this is wrong. This is inhuman and it should not happen. Now, but are you talking about the same society? Certainly within the society, maybe they don't think it's wrong. And so you're expecting the society outside that society to to Everyone, to cast. this is a human rights issue. Well, I think that speaks to the whole purpose of Honor Diaries and what you want yes, to accomplish with it. Absolutely. And I know we haven't got a lot of time left, uh, so I'm I sure you want to get... I want to mention that for the critics mm-hmm. of Honor Diaries, that this is not a documentary about religion or culture or color or creed. It's a documentary about human rights. And if we care about human rights, we want to ensure that the human rights of more than 50% of our population are protected. And, you know, from 1.6 billion Muslims, if more than half of them, which is the women, are being in any way oppressed or suppressed, I think we need to definitely speak out. You know, someone asked me about statistics, and I said, why do you want statistics? Even one person killed in the name of honor is enough for us to stand up and speak out. Um, I'll give you a famous story. We don't have much time, but Mm -hmm. the story captures the whole dimension uh, of this problem in the Hindu society in India this is the ancient custom where the widow would be thrown into the funeral pyre of her husband it was called Sati and so when the British came to India and India became part of the British Empire I'm going back to the sometime in the late 18, early 19th century mm-hmm. this famous story of the British general Sir John Napier coming with his men upon this scene Imagine the scene, and he comes confronts the scene where the funeral part has been set up uh, uh, for the man who's dead, and because cremation, that's the Hindu way of burial, cremation, and the woman is going to be thrown in that, and the woman is standing to be thrown into the funeral fire, and he asks, what is happening? And he said, well, the woman will be, this is sati, this is happening, so what, what's going to happen? She will be thrown into the funeral pyre, so who's going to throw it? All the men are around there, you know, and the priests. They said, wait, this is our custom. And he says, put up a gallow right here to his men. And he said, it is our custom that we will hang the people who murder people. (laughs) And the British at that time had the spine to take on this thing. And Sati became abolished. Just as slavery became abolished in 19... Slavery became abolished by the British way before Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Bill, right? It goes back to Wilberforce. Sati in India became abolished, you know, by that one action that captures the whole struggle. Well, Britain today is succumbing to honor killing. America is succumbing to honor killing. That is, the Western world, the open societies are becoming closed society in their identity politics. To sum it all up, 
The identity of the mother who sacrifices her woman, that is a child, to honor killing is not simply a mother. Her entire identity is bound up with the family and the clan. You bring up a point, mm-hmm. uh, the role of the woman in all of this, because um, I remember in reading in Ayan Ali's book, one of her books, that she talked about anticipating um, her circumcision as a, a rite passage yes. into womanhood, and she was actually looking forward to it. Yes. Now, whether or not she enjoyed it or not, yep. that's another matter. And also, we hear about um, when uh, a, a husband is about to uh, punish his daughter by throwing acid on her um, for not obeying him. It is um, often the case that the woman, the, the the mother, goes and brings the acid, and she's the one who participates willingly, uh, or at least I would assume it will, willingly, maybe it's a Stockholm Syndrome type of thing, but willingly, in, in, in this kind of so-called honor. So what is the role of the woman in Muslim societies in the perpetuation of this kind of barbarity? Well, th- women have been forced into this uh, or brainwashed into this uh, idea that they have to do what the men tell them to do. I mean, for 1400 years, men have spoken for women's rights. And I found it appalling as a child when I was growing up. And that's why I became such a rebel at a very early age is that, you know, women are constantly being told what they should do, what they should not do, even in terms of their understanding and reading the Quran and the scripture themselves. And I'll tell you, it was only when I came to Canada about 28 years ago that I finally discovered that Islam actually frees me. You know, not the kind of Islam that is being practiced today, but, you know, the the Islam of of the Prophet Muhammad, who was a feminist, uh, you know, who was sent a proposal of marriage by the woman who was older than him and who he worked for. And I think that there can be nothing more liberating than that. So essentially, I realized that at that time, Islam came to take women out of the dark of the darkness. You know, they used to bury newborn girls alive pre-Islam. And I think that metaphorically, they're doing that again now. You know, this is these are patriarchal societies where women are not given that individual freedom that we were talking about to understand and implement the faith or, you know, secular values or whatever it is that brings them, uh, you know, tells them that they're equal in the in the eyes of the creator. And so they're always considered second class citizens. They think that they don't have the rights to speak out and therefore they don't. I would encourage all of our listeners to um, attend tonight at 6.30 at the Wolf Auditorium. The Central Library on Dundas Street is in the Galleria Mall. Um, for a showing of Honor Diaries, uh, Rahil, I know that you're going to be there. Salim, are you going to be there as well? I'll be there, and, and your audience might want to know. Rahil will be there uh, after the screening for a public Q&A. And so also uh, Paul McKeever, leader of the Freedom Party, is going to be uh, talking at okay. that as well. Yeah. Um, I'll be there um, filming some of the speeches. So um, I encourage everybody to come out and uh, see the Honor Diaries, or simply Honor Diaries. And uh, other than watching Honor Diaries, which is an informative uh, documentary, is there anything else that we here in Western society can do, just briefly, uh, Rahil, um, uh, to, to help bring light to this disgusting behavior? Not be cowed down by political correctness. Uh, always speak out when there is injustice and, uh, you know, help progressive Muslim organizations like our organization, the, you know, Council for Muslims Facing Tomorrow, because we are the frontline warriors in this battle against the jihadis, against radical Islam, against Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, you know, we've been speaking about this. We need 
we speak about gender equality, and we need to do this as a Canadian uh, concept, not as something that is only for Muslims. So we request your support in every aspect of what we are doing to become better Canadians and better Muslims at the same time. Well, you certainly have earned our support, and I'm glad that you could make it today, Rahil, and the same to you, Celine. Thank you. And that's it for another show. My goodness, these hours go by quickly. So join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see ya. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be if I could just talk to Jeannie just for a minute. I... No, Major, you've done enough to that poor girl. Has she complained? That poor innocent child doesn't even know how badly you've treated her. That poor innocent child? Do you happen to know how old she is? No, how old is she? Well, her age has nothing to do. <laughs> You're not ready for marriage, Major Nelson. I know I'm not. I never said I was, sir. Do you know what you are ready for, Major? No, sir. In-depth analysis. <laughs> Starting tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock. My office. Sir, I don't need in-depth analysis. All I need is... A whip and chain. I'll handle this, Amanda. You should be arrested. Good night, Major. Good night, sir. Mrs. Bell. It shatters the imagination to think what some women will put up with. Yes. 